0: When I was 16 years old, I grew up in church and had a a great experience growing up in church. But when I was 16 years old, we got a new youth pastor and just an amazing guy. He's fresh out of college, 23 years old, um, had uh, way more zeal than depth. And uh, that's not me being mean. I would say that if he was here, just filled with passion, filled with life and, and joy. And one of the things that when I think back on him that he was really marked by was he had this zeal for people who did not yet know and love Jesus. And so he didn't just want to show up and, and do church with church people. He had this like longing in his heart to kind of unleash this small little youth group that we were all a part of, um, to, to really minister to and to live on purpose in the places where we lived, work, and play, to, to be missionaries in our high schools and on our sports teams and all the places... Uh, that we were at so he would stand up on wednesday nights which was sort of our kind of big moment as a as a youth ministry and almost every week it was the same sermon he would talk about the goodness of god and then he would talk about our calling as disciples of jesus to go live into the purposes of god wherever it is that god had placed us and so he would talk about sharing our faith and evangelism and and i don't know what your story is but he'd stand up and, and he would talk about that and typically two things would happen in my heart when he would talk about living on mission. First would be this like bubbling up of like excitement and zeal and passion. Like, yes, that's what I'm made for. That's what I should do. And then very quickly, it would be followed with this overwhelming sense of fear and inadequacy. Like, I have no idea how to share my faith. I have no idea how to to, to live the life that he's talking about. And so basically every week, I would get stirred up with joy and conviction, and then I would walk out of there in fear and shame, and then I would pretend that I was going to live it out. And so I won't ask you to raise your hands if you've ever been there, but uh, that's what would happen. And so he would preach on this over and over and over, and then... I think at some point he realized that the sermons weren't really getting through because nobody in our group was really coming to faith. And so he came up with this idea that on Friday nights he was going to do these events where we'd go do something really fun as a youth group, but the only way that we could come to the event was if we brought someone with us who didn't know Jesus already. And I was like, man, I hate that because like, I want to go to the event, but... I'm scared to invite my friends with me who don't know Jesus. And I thought, I'm the pastor's kid. Like, he can't really make me do it. And so I remember the first week I showed up at one of these Friday night events. And we get there and he's like, hey, David, where's, uh, where's your friend that doesn't know Jesus? And I'm like, oh, man, I tried all week, you know, and this, this folks were supposed to show and they just ghosted me. And, um, and he's like, eh, you know, but he let it slide. He let it slide that first week. He said, hey, next week, don't come unless you come with a friend that doesn't know Jesus. So then I'm feeling the pressure. He's preaching on it again, and he's, he's kind of putting out that opportunity. So the next Friday night rolls along, and I'm like, okay, I've got to bring somebody with me that doesn't know the Lord, but I'm scared to death. I didn't know how to do this. And so once again, I don't invite any non-Christians with me. I get my friend that went to the Baptist church down the street. I thought, maybe he's lost. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not sure he's saved. And and so I'm like, hey, Josh, here's the deal, man. You can come tonight, but I just need you to just like turn down the whole Christianity thing just a bit. That's our ticket in. And, and he comes and he shows up with me to the event. And, and my youth minister, he could just smell the Spirit of God in my buddy. Like, he walks up, he's like, You Christian? He's like, I love the Lord. I'm like, oh. I'm like, you cussed this week. I mean, you're not that Christian, you know. And, and and I kid you not. So my youth minister sends us home. He's like, you can't go. And I'm like, oh. And there's just this thing that was just built up i mean i remember just this fear this like man i don't know how to do this thing i, I, I don't know how to share uh, the, the the joy of jesus with people who don't yet know jesus and yet i know that this is part of what god has made us for and so you know we've, we've kind of been building to this moment over the last few weeks when okay you know when when you spend time with god and you spend time in community there's this overflow of our life that begins to happen. But I I don't want to end this morning by just kind of preaching like, hey, here's what we should do. I really want to have a conversation about what does it look like practically to be the type of people that know how to just speak the gospel fluently wherever it is that God has put you. Like how do you just speak life, just just live the good life wherever you go in such a way that people go, man, I see something in you that I want more of. And so um, I was thinking about how I wanted to do this this morning. I just thought of my good friend, um, who uh, is Dave Wilson. Dave, if you'd come up. Last week, if you were here, we appointed Dave. He's our our, uh, newest elder. Can you guys help me welcome Dave? And um, and have you come up, Dave? And I just want to have a conversation uh, with Dave, because when when I think about people who are living out in just the most natural, simple sorts of ways, like just living out the kind of life where people around you go, man, I want to know more about who it is that you worship. Dave's one of the guys that I think about, and he has a really unique story. And in, in fact, uh, we'll get into that here in just a moment, but one of the things that um, he actually does as a job now is he spends time every single day sitting down with men in the city who don't know Jesus, just having conversations of faith and equipping other people to sit down and have conversations of faith. And so uh, here's what I would encourage you to do. Um, Get out your phone, get out something to write with. Uh, We're gonna move through several big things this morning. I wish we had an hour and a half together to unpack some of these principles that we're gonna talk about. But I think it's gonna be really, really helpful And if this kind of whets your appetite, Dave and his wife, Drew, uh, they teach a class several times a year at Ethos where they just uh, really help equip people that want to live out their faith in the workplace, on your college campus, in really simple ways. And if this kind of whets your appetite, hopefully you'll jump into one of those classes um, the next time we do that. So um, Dave, man, so glad you're with us. I want to start with just some of the simple kind of stuff. So before we jump in to the conversation on evangelism. Tell us a little bit about your family. How long have you been married? Your kids, your grandkids. Um, How long has your wife, Drew, known that you were gonna be up here on the stage doing what you're doing?
1: About uh, 30 seconds, I think, now, when I walked up here. So yeah, my name is Dave Wilson, and been married 34 years, and you gotta do weird stuff like this to keep it fun.
0: Yeah, all Uh, all, all week long, he's like, do not tell Drew that I'm gonna be up there. I want her to be surprised when I walk up, and so. um, And,
1: Drew, were you surprised? <laughs> so we don't have real good communication skills. You probably, I won't be teaching on that. But uh, so I have three children. Uh, one of them's here with his fiancee, so that's kind of fun. So he was part of the surprise. Um, and uh, yeah, my, my uh, career, as Dave mentioned, I was 25 years in commercial real estate development. And then about 12 years ago, started... Um, Doing what I'm doing now, and and I I think for me the reason why because it's a pretty big change. I think for me the reason why is, I just really felt like. It can't possibly be God's plan that we go through life not really knowing, questions to our, uh, our answers to our questions because whether we've raised in church or never been to church. We all have questions. And I just thought, it, that just can't be the idea, his, his master plan, that we just wanted through life not knowing and then get the big answer when we, you know, when we die.
0: Yeah, so married 34 years, three yep. kids, two yep. grandkids. Two grandkids, yeah. Um, if you were to, just a little bit more about you, if you were to go to a random Christmas party and they had a get-to-know-you event and someone asked a, just a random question like, Did anything cool happen in your life in the year 1984? I mean, just just pulling something out of the air. Anything cool happen with you in 1984?
1: I think December I met my wife in 1984, my future wife in 84.
0: That is cool, I didn't know that. Um, Which is also super awesome. (laughs) And in no way am I downplaying that moment. Um, That's good. Yeah. Did anything less cool than you meeting (laughs) Drew happen in 1984, maybe in the summertime?
1: Yeah. Okay. I think I know where you're heading. Um, yeah, I, was, I had the privilege to uh, represent the U.S. in the Summer Olympics in swimming, and, and um, yeah. And he won a gold and silver medal in swimming. That's a true story.
0: Um, uh, swimming. Um, you know, we will not show the video um, just uh, for a lot of reasons, but it is. <laughs> Yeah, that would be uncomfortable. That would uh, be
1: very, very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that would be horrible. How often do you and Michael Phelps talk? Um, uh, you know, <laughs> once, he, once I taught him everything I knew, it took about 20 seconds. He, he hadn't called me back.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the things I love about your story, uh, you know, there's been so much favor on your life. I see, I see favor, you know, kind of your story in the Olympics, your story as a commercial developer. I see favor in your family. I see favor in your grandchildren. And I think all of us that know you and love you, one of the things that we see is it's just the hand of God on your life. And it's incredible to me, a few, you know, 12 years ago, there was there was that bubbling up in you where you went, man, I don't want people around me that have questions in their faith to to kind of stiff arm the gospel because no one had the courage to sit down and engage some of the hard questions. And one of the things that I love. About the way that God's wired you is, is you stepped into that, really going, hey, this is not somebody else's mission. This is my mission as a disciple of Jesus. And, you know, the story I was telling earlier about being in high school and, you know, wanting to share my faith and not knowing, and I had so many failures with it, I, I sort of kind of shut down and for years didn't even know how to try. I remember telling it to you years ago, and you said, hey, Dave, you were just caught in the Great Commission guilt cycle. And you gave me this picture for what so many of us as followers of Jesus kind of find ourselves. Can you just unpack kind of what that great commission guilt cycle? Yeah,
1: I I think when we, because that was my life. I mean, what you shared was very similar. And, you know, it's like every time the pastor would say, you know, turn to Matthew 28, I thought, oh, my gosh, certainly he's got more sermons in his folder than that one. And But but I think for a lot of us, and we'll we'll unpack that, but for a lot of us, I think there's false expectations. You know, there's the expectation of, well, what if, they answer, what if they ask a question I don't know? I have to have all the answers. You know, or what if, they, what if they look at my life and go, well, you're not that great. You know, you're just a hypocrite. So I think for me, I had to kind of break down what were some of my false expectations that I had to kind of leave before I could even step into, okay, what's the deal with the Great Commission guilt cycle? So the Great Commission guilt cycle is something that really the Lord put on my life because that's where I, I spent 20 years of my adult life and it was it it kind of starts at the top and it's it's like okay I know I should right because I keep hearing the sermon about it I know I should be sharing my faith sharing my my faith yeah Uh, but I don't know how are we doing that yeah okay and but I don't know how and I'm afraid to so I don't but I know I should and you see it just keeps going on going and going and that's really, if we're honest, for me, that was a horrible place to be. I, it, it, was, it was just not good. And, and, and that, again, I was thinking, this just, this just can't possibly be God's plan, you know, for me just to feel guilty every time the guy says, turn to Matthew 28. Um, so that was, uh, yeah, that was a great commission, great commission guilt cycle and, and that's where
0: I was stuck. You know, that's one of the things that I've just felt myself stuck in. And I remember as you and I were talking about it, if you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 3, I want not you just look at verse 15 with me? Because I remember you unpacked this, this verse maybe in a way, I don't know if I've ever seen it this um, clearly, uh, the way you just kind of unfolded it um, for me uh, years ago. But I love, I love the way that Peter speaks. He says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, Always prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. I love this. But do this with gentleness and respect. And uh, I would love it if you just kind of, I remember years ago you just kind of said, okay, you get caught in this cycle. We all get caught in this cycle. Um, Part of the way that we break through this cycle is just kind of getting our minds around what it is that God's really invited us into. And you unpacked this. You kind of gave me four simple principles out of this.
1: Yeah. um Yeah. yeah, for me, it was. if you look at that verse that's not on the screen, but if you look at the verse, um, in my mind, before we get to that, before, and there's some scary words in there, right? I mean, if we're going to be honest, words like always, always be prepared, that's, that's kind of heavy. Uh, to answer anyone who asks you, that's, those are kind of, if we're going to be honest, I, that's, those are pretty tough things to read and think, gosh, how are we going to do that? but then on the other side if you look at it you say okay yeah but notice he does not say be prepared to explain the Jesus figure in Jeremiah or something like that right all he's saying is be prepared to give the hope that you have it's very personal tell be prepared to tell your story you don't have to make something up it's just it's just about you and and the other thing to think about is it really kind of it suggests that there's. this is in the context of a relationship because those are some pretty heavy questions that people may come up and ask. So there, there's a bit of a trust. If they're asking you those questions, there's already a trust that they're giving with you in the relationship, knowing that you're not going to jump down their throat and think and scream, you know, what are you, crazy? You can't think that way. And so I think if we look at that verse that way, and then we'll break it, break it into those four, But but it's... It's not, you know, be able to explain something, great theology. It's not stand on the street corner, but it's recognize that if someone has the courage to ask those questions, there's a relationship there that you've got, which is kind of pretty cool. So you want to break down the four? I'm going to have to look at the screen. I didn't rhyme down.
0: <laughs> i am heard t- they're good, y- though. Y- you taught me these. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, these are good. So hey, just kind of four breakdowns out of 1 Peter 4. So uh, being spiritually committed. Yeah. You talked about what's it look like to be spiritually committed as kind of the baseline uh, for this?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is where, um, you know, this is where we realize the more time we spend in the Bible, um, the more time we realize this is a this is call to action. It's not just a kind of s- s- how to live your life. I mean, that's all part of it, but it really is a call to action. So being spiritually committed is, okay, Lord, I'm, I hear you're calling me to something that I, just so you no, I'm not really excited about, but I'm willing to step into that, and um, and that's just part of our life as a believer. It's not like okay, you know, life of believer is segmented into Bible reading, church attendance, tithing, and then for the you know once you once you're really in the advanced classes and you're going out and talking to others about it. It's really all part of our our life.
0: So spiritually committed, second thing, intellectually prepared. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, so that's the one where we do have to prepare for t- tough questions. And they're are really, really good, legitimate questions that deserve really, really good, legitimate answers. And I will say, and I don't want to sound wrong, but but the answer to a question that someone asks you can never believe can never be well, my mama told me it was true, and it's in the Bible. Okay, because A, they don't know my mama, and B, they don't—they may not believe the Bible. So it's like, how do we explain what we believe, and some of the answers to the tough questions, outside of just saying, "Well, it's in, it's just in the Bible." And there's there's a saying that um, it helps me remember this: is, is it true because it's in the Bible? And this you're gonna have to think through this a little bit. Nine o'clock. You guys are ready. Is it true because it's in the Bible, or is it in the Bible because it's true? The world thinks we think it's true because it's in the Bible. What we need to do is explain to them, no, 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 it's in the Bible because that's what really happened. You see the difference? And so that's the, um, that's the homework, That's really, and that's kind of the thing that we love to do, and you mentioned our Grow class, but that's, those are the kind of things we talk about. How do we answer these tough questions? So spiritually committed, intellectually prepared, emotionally engaged. Yeah, this is um, this is for me the fun part, you know. If if because uh, here's here's the truth matter. These are very tough questions, and they're not just one-off answers, right? And to, and the best way to communicate is to develop a relationship. In the context of a relationship, we talked about this a little bit before. In the context of a relationship is when you want to have these conversations and and so that the that commitment is hey i want to be i want to hear your story tell me your story let me show you my story we have a lot more in common you you may think And and, and guys that's what it takes time it's it's a lot of you know sitting across a coffee table or lunch or just hanging out in the backyard or whatever but um for guys like us outgoing we we love doing that kind of stuff, right <laughs> yeah. so
0: spiritually committed, intellectually prepared, emotionally engaged, I love the last one you see it in the last part of first Peter three fifteen is relationally sensitive, yeah, what do you mean by that
1: yeah, relationally sensitive um is that's what I meant to say in the last one. Really relationally you really sensitive. messed it up. I really did mess yeah. it up. What was the third one? Because I'll probably address that now. <laughs> Emotionally engaged. Emotionally engaged. Yeah, they're kind of... So, yeah, relationally sensitive is... Um, that's really hearing. I mean, because here's the here's the other impression, unfortunately, the world has of us is we have all the answers, and once you ask us, we're just going to spew answers on you. And we're not really going to really care if you get it or hear it, we just feel pretty good by the fact that we're able to spew it at you. And the truth of the matter is that we need to be good listeners. You know, we need to understand what's the question behind the question. And, uh, and again, that takes time. That's all part of that process. Mm-hmm. So you have the, the Great Commission guilt cycle. Mm-hmm.
0: And what began to kind of break you out of that was this kind of First Peter 3.15, you know, how do I, how do I prepare you know, for these life-on-life conversations. But, you know, one of the things that, yeah, you came, and Dave came and shared with our staff several years ago, um, because there's this thing that happens, I think we get excited about, okay, how do I live this out with my friends? And then we we get into the real world, and the reality is all of these barriers um, uh, in our relationships and in our faith begin to kind of spring up as these questions. What are the three, if you are gonna say, the three most common barriers that you see uh, when you're trying to live out your faith in the marketplace? Yeah,
1: so... um Here's the, here's one more, before we jump to that, uh, here's one, one more false expectation, and this is, and maybe it's an older generation, I don't know if it, it fits with you young youngsters in here, but I grew up thinking nobody wants to talk about religion and politics. That's just how I was raised, so nobody wants to talk about it. Well, there was a study done about six years ago by Lifeway, and it, and, uh, it said, uh, of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, those who have no religious affiliation at all, Catholic, Hindu, Buddhist, Christian, nothing, okay? They've just checked none of the above. 79%, think about this, four out of five said they would like to have a conversation with their Christian friend about faith. First of all, I saw that, I was blown away, because that's totally opposite of what I was taught. 79%, four out of five, would like to have a conversation with their Christian friend about faith, but it's the friend is the key point. It's that relationship is the key point. So yeah, are there barriers? Yeah, there are some big barriers. And so here are, the, here are some of the barriers. I'll do them in order. Is there an order? I think so. Okay, I'll do them in order then. Um, Got to get my notes, so don't tear them up. Okay, so emotional barrier is the first one. <laughs> <laughs> How am I doing? This is very well rehearsed in case you're wondering. Um, this has gone very poorly. It really has gone bad. What's the first one? I'll go in order. What is it? Intellectual. Intellectual. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah, intellectual barrier. <laughs> so intellectual barrier uh, are, are people who have questions. You know, hey, I, I can't go all... I have, a, I have a, a friend, and this is what he said we were meeting, and he said, listen, I can't believe in your God because if I do, then I have to believe he's going to send two-thirds of the world's population to hell. That's a legitimate, concern, question that is a barrier for him, right? So intellectual, and there's lots of questions you know, that people have. How do you know, you, know, you guys base everything on the Bible. Are you aware that it's 2,000 years old and been copying and copying and written and written, right? I mean, how, do you, how can you rely on the Bible? Well, we need to have, you can't say because it's in the Bible, right? We need to have an answer for that. So intellectual questions are, 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 are really big ones. Number two is... Emotional. Emotional, that's a good one too. So emotional, that's a little different in that emotional is somebody who's been hurt or burned by uh, a Christian or the church or something like that. You know, for example, someone would say, you know, um, I had a boss that uh, claimed to be a Christian, but, but he messed me out of a uh, commission or he, you know, he did this or I knew he wasn't faithful or so was, in other words, it's like, hey, I've observed and there's nothing different about you just because you claim to be a Christian. And so really, you, all you guys are is a bunch of hypocrites that just get up earlier on Sunday than I do. Other than that, there's no difference. So emotionally, I have no desire to get engaged in that process. You know, And sadly, some of what they say may, is tr- may be true, but how we get over that is by saying, hey listen, I know there's there's bad examples out there. I know I'm I'm a bad example, and I use a real life. I love to use real life uh, examples because if it's if if it's logical in real life, it, it should make sense for, for us in the, in the religious world, right? So, for example, I'll say, hey, if a guy was if a guy was caught embezzling thirty million dollars from IBM, should IBM should they close IBM? Should they shut down should the government come in and shut down ibm and of course the guy looks at me and says well no but the guy should be put in jail i say exactly so if you have a bad experience with the christian the whole establishment shouldn't be shut down just that guy you probably need to talk to somebody else right and so it's how to how to get people focus off of hey this person was bad or this experience was bad which are legitimate but, hey, how do we keep, stay focused And what's, let's focus on Christ. What did he say? Now, if he endorsed what happened to you, then, yeah, there's a problem. But if his life and his saying and his ways are different, then that's what we ought to focus on.
0: So intellectual, emotional. Then this third one's kind of interesting to me, natural. And I would love for you to even just talk about the progression that you've seen over the last 12 years you know, maybe you used to see more people dealing with some of the emotional piece or the intellectual piece, talk about the natural.
1: Yeah, so the natural, the definition of natural is, um, didn't know if the definition was up there, but the definition of natural is someone who just says, hey, yeah, I get it, I can tell you, I know the gospel message, I can recite it back to you, I just don't believe it or I don't wanna believe it. And that's, <laughs> that's tough. I mean, to Dave's point, that's, that's what. so I've been doing it 12 years, and I would, say, I would say for me, this barrier is on the rise. And for what I do, it's the toughest, because all you can do, really, is just maintain the relationship and pray for the person. Because if you maintain the relationship, when they have a little breakthrough or may have a question or may start to doubt, because God's always working on them, right? Then you're the person they're gonna go to and talk to because you've, you've maintained the relationship. But yeah, that's, that's the toughest. And I will say, a lot of times these three are kind of mixed around. For example, I remember I was meeting with um, some friends and we were going through the intellectual questions. They just had a lot of questions. And it was like every time we, we knocked one off, they would send me an email during the week with like three more, okay? And I'm not the brightest guy in the world, but I'm sitting there thinking, man, there's, there's no way out of this. I mean, I'm never gonna dig out from all these questions. And I was talking to a friend of mine who's a mentor, and, and um, he said, hey, a lot of times, the intellectual questions, they're, they're, a, they're really a front for an emotional barrier. In other words, hey, if I just can keep asking Dave all these questions, which he's gonna just get exhausted, or he, he's ne- we're never gonna real, get to the real issue. And so I went in, I was so excited to hear that, so I went in and I said to the guy, he was, as we were, he was peppering questions, I said, hey listen, sometimes, and I said the same thing to him, it's a, it, this can be a front for emotional barrier, and he just dropped his head and said, yeah, that's, that's my case, <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, thank goodness, we can get off these questions, <laughs> and I said, well, tell me about it. And he says, I have an uncle who lives in Florida. He's a, he's a rabid, born-again Christian. He's the most obnoxious person I'm, I know. I don't ever want to be like him. I'm like, great, let's talk about that.
0: You know, so when you think about this this journey, I, I love you talk about in these three barriers, one of the things that you're seeing right now in our current moment is just the numbing of the mind. And the other day you are telling me the story about sitting down with a guy and, and he just kind of laid it out there, you know? And, would you just speak to us about the way that you see the numbing of the mind just being this pervasive yeah. kind of challenge in our moment
1: yeah it, it it's it, it's for me i define it as someone who just says I, I don't know it's not important enough to think about that's neat that you're doing this but i you know so to your i think the example you're referencing is um I was at lunch with a guy, and we were talking, and he just said, "He just said, hey, Dave, he said, hey, listen, if there's a God or not, that's really great. You believe in him, but I'm good either way. <laughs> I remember thinking, that's not in any book I've read. What do I say to that? Hmm. But, you know, you're just thinking, going, wow. And I think for a lot of people, life is good. I mean, we live in, you know, America. We live in Nashville. It's booming. Everything, you know, everybody wants to. So it's, it's, for a lot of people, it's like, I'm good, you know. Religion is for people who hit bumps in the road and have problems. And I don't have any of that stuff, so I don't need religion. I think that's, mm. that's kind of what I'm, I'm seeing. And so I think for a lot of people on the natural, which I mentioned before is the hardest, I think the hardest part for, for people is to say, hey, you know, I always tell people, I think the most difficult word in Christianity that we, that we talk about and preach is surrender. Right, not a terribly popular word, but if you think about it, you know that's really what we're called to do: is surrender our lives. And for someone to say, "Hey, you're asking me to surrender control, or surrender my life, or surrender potentially, you know, whatever my happiness, this and that," um, I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know if my will is is really ready for that. My natural will loves to be in control, and so I always tell people, "Hey, listen." God will accept us exactly the way we are, every single one of us. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's going on. Okay, I'm I'm banking my eternity on that fact. But He will never leave you exactly the way you are. Go look at Scripture. He didn't leave anybody exactly the way they are. So yeah, there's that's I think for a lot of people is the barrier. Yeah. So it's you talked about this,
0: this cycle, and then there's the, the kind of the, the takeaways from 1 Peter three. And then there's the three barriers of faith. And I want want to really land the plane. Um, Something you said to me years ago just really stuck with me. You said it was these two principles of evangelism that really began to help you just kind of get out from from under that cycle. And I'll just name them quickly and we would love for you to speak into them. You said the two principles are that evangelism is a process and that the results are up to God. How come those two things clicked in for you? Evangelism is a process. The results are up to God. Uh, What did that do for you? How do you see that unlocking?
1: Yeah, so for me, those two principles is what, that was the exit ramp for me off the Great Commission guilt cycle. Because again, if you think about the false expectations, hey, it's all up to me, I gotta have the right answer. What if they this, what if they that? And I realized, wait a minute, this is way above our pay grade. I'm not talking about changing somebody's mind. This is a heart transaction. I can't do heart transactions. I don't do that, right? That's God. So for me, it was freeing. All of a sudden, I thought, wait a minute. I, it's not up to me, you know? And, and the, other, the other reality is I, 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 can't, I can't get him any more lost or confused, right? I mean, I'm just, I'm just here as a friend, and, and, and but God's got to do the work. So once I realized, hey, it's a process, and we never know where we are in that process, and it, the results are up to God, you go back to that 1 Peter 3.15— There's no expectation on results if you go back and look at that verse. It's just here's what we do, and do it with kindness and respect and in the context of relationship and da da da. You know, and so that for me was the exit ramp. When I really, especially that second one, that the results are up to God, when I really took that to heart, I thought, I can't mess this up. I'm just called to engage in conversation. Who doesn't like to do that, right? Yeah, you know,
0: one of, this is where I kind of want to strap up our time together this morning. You know, as we started, we read Luke chapter 15, 1 through 7. And one of my favorite, if, if I had to maybe say what's my favorite chapter in the whole, whole Bible, would be Luke chapter 15. It's this moment where Jesus is surrounded by a bunch of people that have wandered away from the faith, messed their lives up. You look back at Luke 15, 1 through 2. It's just a bunch of people that were living in really messy situations, and Jesus gives three stories, uh, really kind of four stories, that just gives these folks a picture of what the, the heart of the Father is. And if I had to sum up Luke chapter 15, it's that God, God cares about the one. He sees the one. He sees the missing. He sees those that have wandered off. And over and over, the refrain in those stories is that heaven rejoices when one finds her way home. And so now, um, how I want to end our time together this morning before we receive communion and before we worship is I, I want to just give us some space to pray that the reality of Luke 15, that the reality of 1 Peter 3.15 that Dave, Dave talked to us about, that those things would just really seize our heart as a church, that this wouldn't be just a performance like, hey, we've got to go do something, but that God would literally put that Luke 15 heart in us, that, that first uh, Peter 3 sort of hope inside of us, so, so that people look at our lives and go, hey, what is it that you have? And that over time, they discover the what is actually a who, that who is Jesus, that and that Jesus deeply, deeply loves them. So here's here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to, right now, invite you to get in groups of two or three. Uh, just It could be with a person next to you. You can turn to the person next to you. You can also pray on your own if you want. But I'm going to give you just a couple of prompts, and we're just going to pray out loud through a couple of things together. So So here's the first thing that I want to encourage you to pray into, is we're going to start by just thanking God that he saw us in our lostness, he sees us in our lostness, that he loves us and loved us in our lostness, and that he found us. And so kind of this first prayer point is just a prayer of thanksgiving. And so I want to encourage you right now, uh, just get with somebody next to you and take a few minutes to just thank God for the way that God himself pursued you. Um, when you were not, when you didn't know Jesus, when you didn't love Jesus, when you weren't walking with him, and then I'll interrupt you um, and I'll give you the next prayer point. We're gonna pray through a couple of things. So turn to someone next to you. Let's spend a few moments uh, praying out loud. We'll turn some music on for us as we
1: do this.